listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. Continue tonight in this summer series focusing on the stories of David and the origins of Israel. Did you hear that phrase in the midst of that reading from 2 Samuel? One of the most jarring phrases in the whole of the biblical story. Attack the lame and the blind, those whom David hates. David hates, hates the lame and the blind. And so, soldiers in your conquest to take the city, kill them. The architects of the Revised Common Lectionary actually lost nerve when they set up the reading for tonight, as they would have had us omit those couple of verses that talk about David's hatred, but I opted to put them back in. Yes, it makes for some uncomfortable reading. Who wants to hear that in church? Who wants to hear David say that? Yet, it's actually really critical to an understanding of the larger story being told. Now, a good deal has taken place between where we left off last Sunday and where this episode picks up tonight. Last Sunday, we had a picture of David's ascent from unknown shepherd to key leader in the army of King Saul. We were given a glimpse at how David's success as a leader had begun to threaten Saul. And at the same time, we saw the birth of this great and binding friendship between David and Saul's son, Jonathan. From there, the story spins forward rather quickly. Saul becomes so threatened by David that he plots to have him killed. And it's Jonathan who will alert David and help him to escape. Forced from there to live by his wits, David gathers round himself a group of followers, and they actually wind up working as mercenary soldiers in the army of the Philistines, the Philistines of all people. That's the archetypal enemy in these stories, and that there's David and his group serving in that army for money. There's a bit of romance tossed in along the line as well as a good deal of intrigue and adventure, all the while David is so clearly the hero, the one in whom the reader is to just delight. Saul, meanwhile, has become more and more unhinged, more desperate to see David killed, more desperate to hold on to his own failing power. One key episode, Saul even goes to a spiritual medium, and has her summon up the spirit of Samuel from the dead so he can seek Samuel's advice. As Walter Brueggemann observes, in doing this, Saul acts against the religion of Samuel, against the prohibition in Deuteronomy, against his own royal edict. Saul's decision to seek help from a medium is a measure of his moral exhaustion, his despairing faith, his failed life. And soon, Saul, along with his son Jonathan, will lie dead on the battlefield. 
The way is then open for David to move from this renegade adventurer to king. As a youth, of course, he'd been secretly, privately anointed as the next king by Samuel. Now, though, he can lay claim to that role. The tribal league of Israel had been battered and broken during Saul's decline, and now David skillfully draws it all back together, solidifying it as one nation. That's where tonight's reading picks up. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Look, we are your bone and flesh. For some time while Saul was king over us, it was you who led Israel and brought it in. The Lord said to you, It is you who shall be shepherd of my people Israel, you who shall be ruler over Israel. Saul might have been king, but it was you, David, who was the true leader. You are the one that made the difference. And the Lord has said, David... It's you who shall be shepherd of my people Israel, you who shall be ruler over Israel. Now here, Brueggemann comments that the term shepherd is a conventional metaphor in the ancient world for king, indicating the responsibility of the king to guard, feed, nurture, and protect the flock. With the use of this metaphor, we are now able to see how the entire narrative of David's rise is staged from shepherd boy to shepherd king. This again is sheer delight for the storyteller, the public anointing of David as shepherd king. There's so much promise in this David, such fresh possibility for Israel Though from the beginning the prophet Samuel had warned about kings, had advised Israel that they didn't really want a king, not if they thought about it, for kings inevitably end up serving their own wants and needs. At this moment, when David is finally anointed and claimed, it looks like they've got a good one. they got a true king. They've got a shepherd. And then like that, the story turns on a dime. Right away... By relating the story of the conquest of Jerusalem, the storyteller will unveil something about David, something unsettling that should serve to remind us that for all of his promise, he was still fallible. The king and his men marched to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land. The great city that we so associate with Israel is not yet an Israelite city. It's in the sort of the region, in the territory, but it's not yet their city. It's a stronghold for the Jebusites. David rightly recognizes its potential as the stronghold center for his newly unified nation. The city is so well positioned, so well fortified, that the Jebusites aren't even particularly fussed when they see David and his army approaching. In fact, they're quite content to mock his aspirations of taking their city. You will not come in here. Even the blind and the lame will turn you back. With these strong walls, we don't even have to use real soldiers to defend ourselves. 
The blind and the lame, they'll do quite nicely, thank you very much. I mean, they're just that dismissive of any attempt to take their city. David, though, was evidently aware of the city's one point of vulnerability, the water supply system. And here comes that jarring statement. David had said on that day, whoever wishes to strike down the Jebusites, let him get up the water shaft. That's the point of entrance. Get up the water shaft to attack the lame and the blind, those whom David hates. And they do. And they take the city, occupying it and naming it as the city of David. As if it weren't enough that David has set his soldiers loose on the most vulnerable of people in that city. The text adds one more cutting line. Therefore it is said, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. Now whether that originally meant David's royal house or, or maybe David's city itself, or perhaps even the temple that his son Solomon would later build in the city, is a bit unclear. Certainly later generations read it in terms of the temple. The temple would not be a place for those who were anything less than able-bodied. Entangled into that prohibition was an assumption that blindness or lameness were signs of God's judgment, God's disfavor. Now I believe what the storyteller is doing here is intentionally pulling back the curtain to show us a side of David that had not yet been anticipated. Not that he was entirely pure and virtuous in all of the stories to this point. He was a mercenary soldier who had survived by his wits and lived pretty rough. Yet it's one thing to tell the story of how this great military leader captured the city of Jerusalem. It's another thing altogether to reveal that his motivation was hatred. There's a chink showing in the armor of the golden boy. Consider yourselves warned. It's a story told in the Gospels one I suspect most of you will know. Here's the version from the Gospel according to Mark. As Jesus and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When Bartimaeus heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout and say, Jesus, son of David. You catch that reference, right? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he cried out even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and said, Call him here. They called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. So throwing off his cloak, Bartimaeus sprang up and came to Jesus, and Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, My teacher, let me see again. And Jesus said to him, Go, 
Your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and followed Jesus on the way. It is Jesus, one called Son of David, held up as an heir and fulfillment of all of the hope and promise that David had once embodied. Jesus, son of David, it's he who meets Bartimaeus, not with judgment, certainly not with hatred, but with compassion and healing. Though the crowds had been dismissive of the blind man's cry, many sternly ordered him to be quiet. Jesus met him in his need. Come here, come close. A son of David, yet more than David himself could ever be. And as Matthew will tell us in his gospel, the blind and the lame came to Jesus in the temple, the very place from which they had originally been barred, and there he cured them. You know, there's one other episode, though, in the story of David, the ancient story, that suggests a tempering of David's hateful judgment. David's great friend Jonathan, dead on the battlefield, had been survived by a son, a young man named Mephibosheth, the royal grandson of the disgraced King Saul. Now, Mephibosheth was lame, crippled in both feet, the text says, and yet David reached out to that young man and welcomed him into his own household, where he ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth was treated like one of David's own, one of his own sons, treated with respect and dignity and even compassion. That's a better side of David, one I'd rather see than kill them, I hate them. And in that act of compassion, that better side, that side of him that keeps surfacing even in his brokenness, and his brokenness is going to come more and more to the fore as these stories unfold. But when that other side, the shepherd David, the glorious David, the one in whom the storyteller delights, when that David surfaces, we can see again how it is that he, in spite of his fallibility, could yet be called a man after God's own heart. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For more information on the church or to offer your support for our ministries, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca.